Father, I pray that today would be the day where we would simply stop fighting and let go. Because, Lord, you promise to go before us. You promise to fight every battle that we're facing in this life on our behalf. So, Lord, whatever the struggle is, whatever the difficulty is, whatever uh, we, we are involved in in our lives and in the messiness of our lives, I pray that we would be a people who are humble to just say, Lord, fight this battle for me. Lord, we can't. But you are more than able. You are a perfect Savior. We live in a messy world. We have messy families, and even our churches are messy places. So we look to you, Jesus, a perfect Savior. Perfect in every way. So, Lord, I pray that, that our hearts and our minds would be focused on you, that you would impart to us today this wisdom, the wisdom of Christ, the wisdom from above. Remind us of the simplicity of this wisdom, the, the foundation of our wisdom is, is John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the foundation of our wisdom, but, but it's also the pinnacle of our wisdom. So Lord, help us not to be wise in our own understanding, but to acknowledge you and to trust in you Give us your word today, Lord, so that we can be a people who make wise choices. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children say, Amen. Amen. So we're in the middle of a sermon series right now. It's called A Messy Church, A Perfect Savior. And like I said last week, I have been involved in, in four different churches. In Marysville, where I was youth director. Then in Fergus Falls, Minnesota. Uh, where I was on staff, then in uh, West Falls, New York, where I was a pastor and then a pastor here. Every church that I've been to has been a messy place. There are no perfect churches. So we might as well just, just relax and just simply admit that fact to the Lord and ask for his wisdom in dealing with the messiness of belonging to a local church or, you know, it's everywhere within this world. It's within our, our world, our, our nation, our community, in our families, in our workplaces. We live in a messy world because this world has been infected by the curse of sin. Amen. When sin entered into the world, everything became a mess. That we have a perfect Savior who's perfect in every way and who makes promises to us. And so today we, here's, here's the point, churches get really messy when they exchange the wisdom of Christ for the wisdom of the world. So as a church we should never exchange the wisdom of Christ, the wisdom of his word, the wisdom of scripture 
for the wisdom of this world. And that's what we're going to be getting in today, into today. It's interesting, in, in a verse like uh, verse 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 might scare us a little bit. And, and I remember when I began reading the scriptures, I was like, oh no, there's, there's this. Uh, I'll just read it for you. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Do I have to be super spiritual? Do I have to be a super Christian? Do I have to spend hours and hours on my knees praying in order to understand this secret and hidden wisdom of God? which God decreed before the ages of, uh, for our glory. So, so Paul goes to the Corinthians and he says, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. But what is this secret? And what is this hidden wisdom of God? The youngest children among us know this secret and hidden wisdom. It's taught to them very early. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For those of us who grew up in the church, uh, that's one of the first verses we memorized, right? Uh, There's also a song which speaks of this secret and his hidden wisdom. We teach this song to little children. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. So this secret and and hidden wisdom that we receive from God, that's the point of the sermon today, is we don't want to exchange the wisdom of Christ for the wisdom of the world. The secret and hidden wisdom is the basics of John 3.16 and Jesus loves me. This is what has been hidden This is the wisdom that has been hidden from the rulers of this age, but which have been revealed to us. In John 3.16, in in the truths of Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That is the foundation of our wisdom, and that is the pinnacle of our wisdom. If you believe that and trust that, you can't get any wiser. You can't get any wiser than that. Max Licato wrote about the message of John 3.16. He writes, the simplicity, the simplicity of John 3.16 troubles many people. We think that it has to be something more complicated, more involved. And when I was a kid, I remember that the simplicity of John 3.16 and the simplicity of the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, was was too simple. I used to pray, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to come into my heart. I believe that you died for me and that you rose again. But then I would also pray, Lord, there has to be something more that I have to do in order to be saved. So I, I didn't have the, the assurance of my of the forgiveness of sin, the salvation. Because I I thought that it had to be more complicated than simply believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And so the simplicity, the simplicity of the message, the wisdom of Christ, the secret and hidden wisdom of God, 
Uh, it, it troubles many people. So in 1 Corinthians 2, this is the mystery that Paul writes about. The mystery that Paul writes about isn't some esoteric thing. It, it's not a, a thing that only the super spiritual, those who are really tuned into spiritual things, can grasp. The mystery is the simplicity of what we're taught at a young age. John 3.16, Jesus loves me, this I know. So the secret hidden wisdom of God, which, uh, which the, the, the super powerful in this world cannot understand, is the basics. And there are people who try to ascend to loftier levels than the reality of John 3.16, and Jesus loves me. But the loftiest level of human wisdom, I'll say it again, are those basic truths. And here's the situation. The church in Corinth was a messy place in many different ways. But, but here's the situation. Corinth was a place of lofty thinkers and speech makers. They, they had adopted the, the methods of the Athenians, which valued wisdom and valued impressive speech makers. They valued these wise and lofty thinkers and these amazing speech makers. You see, the Corinthians, they drooled over these, these amazing speeches that were made. They thought, this is an impressive person because he makes some amazing, uh, he gives some amazing speeches. And, and we, we haven't uh, really escaped from that yet. We've retained, as Westerners, of people who are in Europe and North America, uh, this, this affinity, that this love uh, for lofty speech makers. We are drawn to people who are able to capti captivate a crowd with their words. And sometimes we're captivated not by the truth of what they say, but maybe by, by the, the emotion or the, uh, the, their way of delivering a speech. And don't forget that, that excellent preachers and speech makers, they can have poor character. And their message may not be according to the truth. They draw people into their churches or into their causes or into voting for them by their ability to move a crowd, Amen. to entertain a crowd. Yes. But listen to the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul did not employ the techniques of the Athenians, of the Greeks, and of these lofty speech makers. You see, if Paul took a preaching class at a seminary, maybe even our seminary, he might get a low grade. He may not get a very high grade. Because Paul didn't address the crowds as the great speech makers of Corinth did. Let's turn in our Bibles now to... 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with the first verse. 
So the Apostle Paul writes this. And when I came to you, brothers, and when I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with what? Lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you, here it is, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. The basics of the gospel. Verse 3. And I was with you in what? In weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. But in what? In demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul depended upon the power of God's Word. He didn't depend upon his own wisdom or his own ability. He depended upon the power of the message of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Verse 5. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now Paul was a very wise man. He was smart. Very smart. But he didn't flaunt his intellect. He preached the truth and the purity of the gospel message. Verse 6, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. And here it is, but we impart a secret, hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They understood the truth. If they understood the truth of the gospel, they never would have crucified Jesus. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. You see, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, that is the Word of God, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him or foolishness to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned or they're spiritually comprehended and understood. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, church, have the mind of Christ. Here is the reading of God's Word.
Thanks be to God. I have a number of different points here today. Uh, they'll be on the screen for you. And there's also a handout provided now for you if you'd like to uh, follow along with the handout. Point number one is that there is, there is nothing wrong with secular speech-making skills, okay? So we might think that, well, we shouldn't be instructing people or, or teaching people in secular speech-making skills. Uh, so some would uh, read passages like this and they would think that we need to do away with, with education. Uh, you see that the use of tone and pitch of cadence and anecdote, they're all fine. Uh, we as, as Christian pastors, especially here in Europe and North America, we, we use these Western techniques of speech. But so long as the preacher does not depend upon those things as the means through which the Holy Spirit does his work. All right? So it's not the skill of the pastor uh, in his ability to be a public speaker. But really, it's the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, all the techniques and skill of preaching can serve the cause of the gospel, and they can benefit the cause of the gospel. You see, for us uh, European, uh, North Americans, it's difficult for us to hear somebody speaking publicly if those old Greek methods are not applied to the speech-making. We easily begin to, to lose the ability to listen to it because we've been conditioned to hear public speakers speak in a certain way. So that's why even in seminary they, they teach many of these different things. And actually our seminary has a class that's happening this fall on these very things of how to use tone and pitch and anecdote in order to help your congregation hear your messages. So we value plausible words and passionate tones of speech, but don't depend upon those techniques. And don't use those techniques to manipulate. If it serves so that people can hear better, then yeah, go for it. Bottom line, depend upon the, uh, God, depend upon the work of His Holy Spirit. And then number two, there's nothing wrong with learning outside the Bible. As people read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and, and verse 2, they, they may get the idea that the only book that we should ever read is the Bible. You see, we need scholars and scientists. We need writers and philosophers. We need educators. We need doctors. We need physicists, geologists, astronomers, and more. We need, oh, I hate to say it, we need lawyers. And we need, oh, I hate to say it, we need politicians. We need all of these things in society. So it's, it's good to go to school and to learn. It's good to go to university and to learn. It's good for some of you to go and to get terminal degrees, to get your master's and then your PhD. Those are all good things. Just as long as we don't depend upon those things to do God's work. There is nothing wrong with learning outside the Bible, but number three, number three, human reason should never rule over the Bible. Human reason should never rule over the Bible. 
there are some that would say that, that we have the right and the ability to be smarter than God's Word and to judge God's Word. Now, there are some people throughout history who have actually, you can go, I, I, there's a museum somewhere where you can, you can find Thomas Jefferson's Bible. He took a pair of scissors to the Bible and he cut out the parts of the Bible that he thought were unreasonable. All right? So, so we have this, this method, this method where, where we think that we're smarter than God's Word. That we rule over God's Word. Where in reality, we should all be under, under the authority of God's Word. And we use our reason to serve Scripture, not to rule over Scripture. Does that make sense? For example, here's, here's where using human <clears throat> reason instead of God's Word can lead us wrong. Martin Luther, and I have the quote up on the, the screen, Martin Luther wrote this, Among themselves, he says, The merchants have a common rule, which is their chief maxim. And here it is, I care nothing about my neighbor, so long as I have my profit and satisfy my greed. So the wisdom of the world can lead us down some really nasty paths. We can begin to think things that are against God's word because it seems to be working out well for me. So who cares about who I, uh, who I hurt just as long as it profits me? Now, on the other hand, Biblical reason will lead to godly reasoning. For example, uh, John Woolman, who lived during uh, the colonial times, before the American Revolution in New Jersey, uh, he, he let his commitment to, to Jesus influence his tailor shop dealings. So out of support for freeing of slaves, Woolman refused to purchase any cotton or dye supplies from companies who use slave labor. You see, the reasoning of the world would have said, well, you can get your cotton and you can get your dye at a cheaper rate, and you could make a, a much heftier profit if you use supplies that, that, uh, in which people were, were treated horrifically through the system of slavery. But he says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to only buy my supplies for my tailor shop from companies that do not employ slave labor. So human reasoning can lead us down sinful paths and destructive paths. And the same is true within a church. We can begin to employ and use the wisdom of this world rather than the wisdom of Christ in his word which has been given to us. You see, reason rules over the Bible in our day and age. And that's never good for us as individuals, for the church, or even for society as a whole, that we would let our reason rule over the Bible. And the same is true of the church. The Corinthians had such a high view of reason and the methods of the speechmakers and the philosophers of, the, of their day 
that they relied upon worldly methods rather than the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the supernatural work of the church. So Paul came to the Corinthians in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That is, Paul proclaimed the powerful message of the gospel, and it was the power of the Holy Spirit that convicted hearts and converted hearts. Next points. Point number four. We impart a wisdom that is not of this world. We impart a wisdom that is not of this world. It is the wisdom of God from His Word. Point number five. Only the Holy Spirit can impart the wisdom from above. Only the Holy Spirit can enter into our hearts and into our minds and convince us of the reality of of who God is and of who Jesus is and of what Jesus has done and what Jesus wants to accomplish in our world. So only the Holy Spirit can impart the wisdom that's from above. There is no way that you could ever, that you could ever believe or understand the things that you do about God and of the Scriptures and of Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit. Belief in Jesus is supernatural. It's something that comes from outside of ourselves. And we come to believe in the world just, why do you believe those things? We really can't explain it. But we have come to believe that this is true. And this is the foundation upon which we build our lives. And this is the message that gives our lives meaning and purpose. And we can't explain it with plausible words of earthly wisdom. So we impart, number four, we impart a wisdom that's not of this world. Verse, uh, uh, point number five, only the Holy Spirit can impart the wisdom from above. And then number six, the unconverted, those, in other words, those who don't know Jesus, those who don't trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, they cannot understand the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. Amen. They just don't, they don't understand why John 3.16 And Jesus loves me. And bread and wine are are so powerful in our lives. It's because the Holy Spirit has done a work. Demonstration of the Spirit and of power through the Word. Come to believe. And to trust. To say, yes, these things are true. So the unconverted cannot understand the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. So then, quickly, in application, how then should we live as those converted by the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, in order for us to be wise people, and we can make wise decisions and choices, 
A, read, pray, and study God's Word. You've probably heard this, if you grew up in church, if you're new to church, you maybe never heard this before, but if you grew up in church, probably have heard this all the time. <laughs> read your Bible. There's a reason we say read your Bible. It's not a law thing. It's not a, a condemnation thing that if you commit to, because, you know, you get this Bible camp thing where I'm going to go to Bible camp and I'm all excited about Jesus at Bible camp. And then I, I commit that I'm going to read my Bible every morning. And I'm not going to miss a single day of reading my Bible. I'm going to come back and I'm going to testify to all my friends at Bible camp. I'm going to get in fr- uh, up in front of camp and I'm going to say, you know what? 365 days I've read my Bible this year. Then you miss a day, feel guilty. Then you miss two days and you're feeling really rotten. Then pretty soon it's a week. If you miss a day, if you miss a week, if you miss a month, if you miss a year, if you miss a decade of reading God's Word, He loves you. And He says, come back to it. Come back to it today. He loves you. So we don't do this out of a sense of guilt or a sense of duty, but because it's gift. His Word is gift. And He wants us to open it, unwrap it, and Read it, to pray it, to study it. And through that, we gain wisdom. I don't know if they still do this, but there was a time when counterfeit, uh, we have a $100 bill maybe, and um, they wanted, uh, they're, they're not really sure if it's a true $100 bill, if it's a counterfeit or if it's a real one. There was a day when, when they would train people to spot counterfeit currency. Do you know how they trained people to spot counterfeit currency? Not by showing them what all the fakes look like, but by putting them in a room with the real thing. And if they knew exactly what a real $100 bill or $50 bill or $20 bill looked like, they studied it, they knew it, then immediately when a counterfeit came across, they could spot it because they knew the real thing. That's how we gain wisdom. That's how, we, that's how we come to understand what, uh, what is truly wise and what's counterfeit or false in our world today. So know your scriptures. Know the Bible. Amen. Read it. Pray it. Study it. And then and it's just as simple as this. Trust the Word of God. B. Trust the Word of God. Simple. Trust what he says. Go back to our call to worship, Proverbs 3, 5, and 4. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Revere the Lord. Revere his word. Don't be afraid of God. To fear the Lord simply means to revere him. And to hold him in such high regard. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. And there's a promise. And it will be healing to your flesh. And refreshment to your bones. Do you need that refreshment today? Go to his word. And for us, the wisdom of God. The beginning of our wisdom. And the ending of our wisdom. The foundation of our wisdom and the pinnacle of our wisdom is John 3.16.
It's where we start. And there's no statement that is any wiser or loftier than John 3.16 or Jesus loves me. You see, the simplicity of John 3.16 troubles many people. We expect a more complicated cure. We, we expect a, a more elaborate treatment. We conjure up remedies for sin. Some mercy seekers have donned these really uncomfortable hair shirts which cause terrible chafing and rashes. They used to put those on, and I think they still put them on today to do penance for sin. I think if I can put this really uncomfortable shirt on that causes all these nasty ratches and scratches, then I can ascend. Uh, Martin Luther climbed cathedral steps on his knees. Thought if he climbed all those steps on his knees that he would achieve what God wanted. Others have traversed hot rocks on bare feet. Thinking we've got to do these things in order to be saved, but the simplicity of God's wisdom is John 3.16. Others have written their own Bible verse, Max Licato says. Uh, Popular opinion, chapter 1, verse 1. God helps those who help themselves. We'll fix ourselves, thank you. We'll make up for our mistakes with contributions. We'll make up for our guilt with busyness. We'll overcome failures with hard work. We'll find salvation the old-fashioned way. We'll earn it. Jesus, in contrast, Max Licato says to you, your part is to trust. Your part is to trust. Max Licato says, trust me to do what you can't. Trust Jesus to do what you can't. By the way, uh, Max Licato writes, by the way, you take similar steps of trust daily, even hourly. You believe the chair will support you, so you set your weight on it. You believe water will hydrate you, so you swallow it. You trust the work of the light switch, so you flip it. You have faith the doorknob will work, so you turn it. Every day, we regularly trust powers that we cannot see to do a work that we cannot accomplish. Every day. And Jesus invites you to do the same with him. Trust him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for John 3.16. Thank you for Jesus loves me. It's the foundation. It's the pinnacle of your wisdom. Help us not to be wise in our own eyes and our own understanding. But give us that simple childlike trust and faith in you. Lord, the church is messy, and it only gets messier when we begin to use the wisdom of this world to try to solve problems that only you can solve in our lives, in our church, and within the world. So, Lord, we just uh, come before you with humble hearts today, and we humbly ask. We humbly ask that you would come to us again and impart to us once again the power of the gospel, that we would trust you with a childlike faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's children say, Amen.